How was your morning meeting, by the way? Oh, it was good. It was good. I did a thing. Um, for, for TV? Uh, yeah, TV thing. Um, who who was that? American TV. Good morning, Virginia, I think it was. Oh. Whatever. Really? Good morning, Virginia? That's yeah. funny. Everybody has a morning somewhere. Everybody has a morning, and it's a good morning everywhere. That's Well, it's an attempt. Yeah. I right? do. I do all these shows. Great days, Washington. Wake up with <laughs> d- 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 Nebraska. <laughs> like I, I do them all the time. <laughs> well, is it is it a is it a, a book thing or is it yeah, a coaching thing. thing? Oh, book thing. Book okay, thing. and it's just because your book is released recently. It, what, it, dude, wait, hold on a second. Why dude. are we not talking about this on the podcast? Okay, okay. <clears throat> Welcome back to Can't Sell This, a podcast about creativity, creatives, and their process. And today I'm so excited to speak with someone who I've known for a very long time, but has lost touch with, have lost touch with, and uh, just am in awe of their accomplishments. And I am really, really happy to have Leslie M. talking with me today. And Leslie, I wonder if you would mind introducing yourself to the listeners. Should I be telling them all about my, who I am and all? The well, let's yeah, let's go with everything? a very broad, oh a very broad strokes about Leslie okay. M, and then we'll and then we'll start uh, getting granular. You're listening to Can't Sell This, a podcast about creativity, creatives, and their process, with your hosts Hugh Elliott and Stefan Grambart. So uh, I, yes, I am Leslie M. I am a former advertising creative director, um, former TV host, former musician, turned training guru, turned author, turned speaker, turned (laughs) swagger coach, a lot of turns in there, uh, turned painter. I don't know if that's that's relevant, Um, but I'm someone who spent my whole life uh, working in the creative field in some way, shape or form and have really learned how to tap into that and make it work for me. Mm -hmm. Uh, none of it is surprising to me, by the way, when you walked into the room, the first time I met you, it was like, you just took over and (laughs) the confidence with which you proceeded to direct the meeting about whatever we were working on in that moment was it was incredible and very awe-inspiring to see that and kind of thing. Probably annoying as hell. Well, you probably know, we 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 tend to we tend to be most irritated by people we are most like. So I'm just going to assume I am as awe-inspiring as you. Oh, I yes, I would say that because I was equally inspired by you. I was it was back in the day when um, at the very beginning of kind of the digital revolution, right? Mm-hmm, That's, we were mm-hmm. both at the forefront of that. And the people who who knew the most, in fact, the people who really only knew anything were the hardcore geeks, <laughs> of, which, of which you were one. That's true. And I had such mad love and I was so in awe of, of these people because I was thinking, how the hell do they know this already? This is not even a thing. This has been a thing for five minutes. And these mm. these people have such profoundly deep, knowledge and understanding of not just how it works, but how to build that, right. how to do that. I was like, oh my God, I, I, in those first meetings, when, when we worked together at, you know, at the agency, I didn't understand a goddamn thing that was right. being said. I would write down acronyms and then go and you couldn't even Google back. Couldn't then, Google, no exactly. Google. I yeah. would have to like Yahoo it. 
<laughs> to try and figure out what the hell are these, these people mean. So for me, that confidence wasn't a front because I don't front. I'm not like that. But mm-hmm. my confidence is in my desire to learn and understand. So I'm sure. all in on that. I was like, oh, I'm in. I'm in yeah. the club. Open yeah. the door. Because it was mostly male too, right? Boys, open 100%. the door. I'm in. I want yeah. I want in. Well, I'll tell you uh, from the perspective of, of one of those people from the early days of like doing interactive, it, it was all about curiosity. The youth of, you know, us, we were in our mid to early 20s and uh, we were just always very curious and the stuff we were working on didn't exist before. So it mm-hmm. tended to be something that we could embrace as curious people who had a background in mostly nerdy things like science fiction and video games mm-hmm. and movies. So we applied the things that we knew in those realms, like how to get from point A to point B became transitions and how to how to create interactions became things that didn't exist, right? Like, so we we had to invent those things on the fly. And we were very, very fortunate to have been surrounded by great creatives who would come up with, we need this to do this. And we go, no problem. We'll make yeah. that work. Yeah, it was really, it was it was a, an incredibly mm-hmm. exciting time to, to work in, in advertising. Incredibly but I would, I, I would say, um, you know, when you first, when I first, uh, found out you were doing uh training corporate training you had come to the agency i was working at to do a to do a session and i remember sitting there going this is not what i remember you doing like how do you how dare you <laughs> but how dare it was you so, reinvent yourself but, but it's like but that just it, it, that wasn't my experience like i didn't see people reinventing themselves the way you had i know people have done it from time immemorial, but from my own perspective, I hadn't seen it. And it was just such an incredible moment to realize that you could do it. If you had one, if you had the ability, you had the wherewithal to do it. It's not just a matter of going like, I'm going to do this now. It's like, well, you, when you said I, I turned speaker, I'm like, no, you were a speaker first because that's how you, you could manage a room based off of all of these other things that were performative, right? Like mm-hmm. I was a TV host, I was a musician, all those things led you to the confidence that you could stand in front of a room and direct a room. Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I've had, I don't know, nine different careers and they've mm-hmm. all been rooted in kind of the, the same thing. They've all been rooted in creativity in some way, shape or form. And they've all, they've been rooted in performance. You're actually absolutely right. But also in the desire to connect with other humans and to help yeah. other humans. Yeah. That's what that's that's my whole reason for living is mm-hmm. to connect deeply and profoundly to the point that I can I can be allowed into people's hearts and minds so that I can create change for them mm-hmm. that is positive. That's mm-hmm. all I care about and I've moved as you get as you get older you get wiser you, get, you understand more and more about what your purpose is and that's how I've used creativity my whole life because it's a pow- it's powerful juju creativity. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, and we, we, you know, we were, you and I were laughing about this earlier about the fact that, you know, creativity is often a label that's given to people who other people can't figure out. They don't understand it. They, they, they don't fit into a box and they go, mm-hmm. oh, she's very creative. That's right. <laughs> she's very, you know, it's an excuse for being unmanageable. It's, it's an true. excuse for not following the rules and all the rest of it. And I recognize that is a, it was a font. It was this well that I could keep going back to time and time and time again, because mm-hmm. creativity is really, it's, you know, it, it's not so much creativity, it's creative problem solving. Yeah. That's the thing, right? That, mm-hmm. that, and you use, you use creative problem solving to accomplish any and everything 
in this life. It is the most powerful skill set that you can have. And creativity is not like, people think it's a gift. You know, like, okay, you know, uh, whoever, who wants to be, you know, have creativity step forward. Oh, little Johnny, not so fast. You step back. No, it's not like that. It's not the pixies don't sprinkle it upon you at birth. Mm -hmm. It's a mindset. It's partly about curiosity. It's partly about saying, well, there's got to be more than one way to do this. There's got to be more than one way to fix this or solve this. Or I wonder if we tried this or what if we did that or what if, and being fearless in that, like utterly fearless Mm -hmm. and believing that what's the worst thing that can happen. It doesn't work. Who gives a shit? It doesn't work. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And and so I think that that is the thing that that if you embrace that, oh, that's going to take you far in your life, take you far. To me, there's no such thing as failure. I don't think failure exists at all. I think Mm. it's all about learning. It's all about learning. Right. And and what led me from, you know, when I came to the agency business, it was so interesting because I'd worked in the field of creativity my whole life prior to that. Right. But I'd never worked in an environment where it had so many freaking constraints. I was, I'd been a musician and a TV host and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And, and I thought I was coming into an environment that was just going to be brimming with this unfettered <laughs> creativity, bouncing off the walls, people Ooh. brainstorming. Blah, blah, blah. Oh, no. <laughs> naive. No. Na- naive I, <laughs> I swear to God, I came into this and I, people were like quivering in corners. There yeah. was such profound insecurity. There was, Fear was just abounding. There were so many constraints that were being placed on us by mm-hmm. clients who didn't know what the hell they were talking about. There was, we were also part of a big corporate entity. You know, we were part, part of the, at the time, the biggest agency group in the world, the yeah. biggest Holco. So it was bottom line. It was dollars. It was client expectations. Hours, yeah. Stuff. And people were dying. There, mm-hmm. I was watching creativity withering. And by the way, we talked such a good game about our creative process. Our creative process was crying, drinking, and praying. That that was our creative process. Yeah. We didn't have any whatsoever. Mm-hmm. And I watched what it did to people. I watched what it did to me. Mm-hmm. I went from being this positive, optimistic, you know, that that bright-eyed, bushy-tailed girl that you know that when you met me, and I was already in my 30s when I came to the agency business. It changed me. Yeah. I got I became angry. I became competitive in a way that I, that I am not, I mean, I'm competitive, but not, I'm for something, not against something kind yeah, of thing. Yeah. You know, I became, um, uh, I was uh, anxious beyond belief, like all of that stuff, which is all of which is a creativity killer. Yeah. Killer. And I didn't like who, who I was becoming. And I also found that I couldn't help my people as a creative mm-hmm. director, which I ultimately became, I couldn't help them. I, I was running running around putting out client fires. I was busy deep in the weeds of the work, which is not what I should have been doing as a creative director. Mm-hmm. And I had more, more responsibility and more pressure on me when what I really should have been doing in that role is totally being in service of the creatives that I was I was growing. That's mm-hmm. that's all I should have been doing. Wasn't happening, didn't happen. And I remember I came home and said to my husband one day, I feel like I'm using my superpowers for evil instead of good. Yeah. You know, and <laughs> I I I don't, I, I can't do this anymore. I, I'm so far from my place of purpose. And I said, I, I think I'm going to quit my job and starting to start a training company. And he was like, but, but Leslie, you, you hate training and you're kind of untrainable. I was like, right, right. Well, like who better to start a training company than, than someone like me? Cause if I could find experiences for people like me, mm-hmm. I'd probably be onto something and especially advertising people. Cause we are smart. We're the great manipulators of the world. 
Mm-hmm. We're one step ahead of the average bear. That's what that's what, that's our job to be that, right? To be to be steps ahead. Yeah. And so if you don't come correct when you try and train us, oh, we make mincemeat out of you. You mm-hmm. better be so sharp and and know our world and all the rest of it, or we don't have time for you. And I thought, if I have the credibility of having been a creative director and have all the insights to things that I recognize were pain points, like serious, profound pain points in the agency business, and for the people. You know, the poor people who are suffering like freaking dogs and who didn't deserve it. They were beautiful, beautiful people in the ad business. And I thought, I just want to help those people. That's all I want to do. I want to make them better at what they do the next day. And more importantly, I want them to feel better about what they do the very next day. Mm-hmm. So that's what started my journey into into training. And that was like 15 years ago. Right. Well, thanks for the episode, Bob. <laughs> Leslie, I really appreciate not having to ask you a single fucking question. <laughs> just trying to help you out, buddy. Boy, oh boy. Well, okay. Let me just let me just, just dissect some of those comments as I just got to run back the next last 10 minutes. Holy. I mean, it's so funny. Baby. Well, it's 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 one of the things when you've like you you were saying that you have been doing these talk shows and interviews about your 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 recent not, uh, book about uh, it's behind you. It's called Swagger. I assume there's a subtitle that's Unleash Everything You Are and Become Everything You Want. There you go. So because of that, you have you have a lot to say. You have a lot I to say be. already. And I, you know, I've always been very impressed with with this this is one of those things that I'm I'm glad I'm not having to drag anything out but I am really curious about a couple of things that you said that struck me and and and, and still exists in advertising one is how it beats you down you come in very wide-eyed going like I am going to change things I'm going to make advertising good or I'm going to you know serve the social good or you know I'll figure out a way to make advertising me, you know, I'm going to be good at it. And then you, and then every little thing that chips away at that, the self-esteem chips away at your confidence, chips away at your quiet, you know, thought processes that allow you to be creative. It turns into, I've got to do this by a certain time because that's what the client told the account person who then communicated that to the project manager, who then created a workback schedule, who then handed me 40 hours. And now I've got two weeks because I've got two other projects that are 40 hours and, you know, everything has to be done in two weeks time. You know, that's not to say that schedules and having time to work and, Having executional tasks is not important, but I think the problem that a lot of people with a creative background, such as myself, such as you, run into is it stifles it stifles innovation and it stifles just bare creativity, the willingness to experiment and try. And one of the things you said was, you know, coming into a meeting and, and seeing people that were doing things that hadn't been done and not knowing how or why and looking up acronyms and we were all living that and there was such a a flurry of experimentation and a flurry of creativity that then became a job and you had to figure mm-hmm. out how to keep that how to keep that interesting for yourself and you figured out I'm going to teach other people how to be interesting for themselves and that I think is is it, you know what I ended up doing was I would work at my job. And then I would work at home on things that I found challenging and interesting. And it allowed me the opportunity 
to express myself that didn't make the job suffer and me suffer for the job. You know, what a, what a shame. That, I mean, you know, it's great to have that thing, that creative outlet when you come home. But shouldn't you be able to do that at work? too? You know, shouldn't it be an and not a not a instead of, you know, sure. Kind of thing? That's what what's so heartbreaking is that, you know, and, and do we have the answers to as to how it can be different? I don't have the answers. I, well, I you know, my initial conversation with every agency I've ever been hired at when it comes to research R&D, because it, it's it's a pretty obvious thing that my background is is about all about research and all about developing things outside of the norm. And every bit of accolade that I've ever received has been a self-directed project. Part of that comes down to I take the things that I do in my off time and apply them to my day to day so that, mm -hmm. you know, the job benefits from me being experimental and me being creative outside of the day to day, but it does, it does mean that I need to do it. And I do find, and and you probably lived it too, is you end up burning yourself out unnecessarily because you're not allowed to take that time at the job, mm -hmm. right? Like I wasn't allowed to take, if I said, look, I need a week, they would be like, no, you can't have a, a yeah, week to a just week? a just, week just to dick around. What's wrong with you? Quarter <laughs> goes in your ass, out comes the creativity. Let's go. Yeah. Let's go. Yeah. And so you know, I think I think one of the things that agencies, creative agencies, would advertising marketing, I think one of the things that they need to start to recognize. And I, uh, like I said, every time I started a job, they would say, What is it you're looking for? And I'm like, I need time where I can work where I can work that isn't me answering answering the call of the client. If if you can give me time, doesn't mean it has to be, you know, all of a week or half of a week. Doesn't matter. As long as I've got time that I can carve out to work on stuff I want to do, I can promise you the stuff I want to do is the stuff your client wants to see. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But you need to give me that time. And the the minute I express that it's always like, a, oh, well, you know, billable hours. And uh, I'm like, well, then I'm not for you. I don't see mm -hmm. how I can be if you can't yeah. carve that time out. And that's every creative person. Every person in the agency should have at any agency should have time allotted to them that gives them the freedom to think the freedom that isn't beholden to the client, because yeah. somewhere there's a person who's pushing papers on behalf of the agency that has a great idea and they've never been able to communicate it because they haven't had time to incubate it. Yeah. Well, there's there's that. And there's also the amount of, of time that is used internally um, at agencies picking apart things mm -hmm. that have that have come, you know, in, in really good shape. And then somebody decides yeah. no i'm not I, this isn't going to work because and then it goes through and yeah, i understand committee, we have to right? do that by yeah. committee so I, I understand that i think that it's also about applying the time at the right at the right point in the creative process mm -hmm. and, and then allowing for the right incubation time and the right kind of feedback yeah not criticism because criticism is absolutely useless but the right kind of feedback based on the right criteria 
at, you know, at the right point in the process to make it productive. Yeah. Because otherwise it's this constant reset, reset, reset. And at some point you, as a creative, you just shrug your shoulders and you go, I don't care anymore. I have no attachment to this thing at all because it has been bastardized to the point where I don't recognize it anymore. And you're asking me now to take this thing that you've forced me to recreate 12 times and mm -hmm. now make it better. I'm mm -hmm. like, I, it, you know, I, sorry, I can't, I, I can't do it. And then you don't, you can't stand behind it. And then people wonder why you're not invested. Well, I, I think I, I, I talked to an educator um, on my other podcast about the value of a critique and the difference between a critique and criticism and a critique is of great value and a, mm -hmm. and a, and a solid, thoughtful critique of work is absolutely invaluable yeah. a criticism of work tends to be a subjective thing based off of personality based off of your feelings you don't your want own that. personal preference your own personal preferences own personal preference. we all have them right? and and a lot of times and, and a lot of times the argument that i pose back when it comes down to criticism is is this in service of the project or is this in service of your ego Mm -hmm. And you need to be able to dissociate or your insecurity or your, your insecurity, insecurity, your fear. Yeah. yeah. All, all those fall under ego to me. It's like yeah. the, the idea that you can't allow some freedom from something else. And, you know, that's part of the reason when so many, when people have independent projects or they're independent um, minded and they do things on their own, it's because they don't want to share, you know, they don't want anybody else's opinion. All the stuff I do when it's on my own, I don't have to care about someone else's opinion. When mm -hmm. someone else gives me a criticism or when they critique the work, I can listen or I cannot. It's up to me. Mm -hmm. It's very different when I work at an agency and I get surrounded by 10 people who start to pick things apart. And you're like, well, what part of this is of value to the thing that I just did? Is there or is it just you are reacting and you didn't come up with it and you're being defensive or whatever number of things that are based off of insecurity and fear it's yeah, it was, true it was such a different experience you know writing writing the book mm -hmm. another creative exercise right mm -hmm. and you know unlike you know advertising and you know in it, with advertising the work goes out into the world and it's like it's like gone you don't even know you yeah. know the only measurement is did it, did it move the client's business forward yeah that, that's it and who knows really why at the end of the day we don't yeah. ever really know why and but when you write a book you know you're going to have to put it out there Mm -hmm. And it's going to be subject to all kinds of things. Amazon reviews, you know, people's opinions, social media, yeah. are people buying it? Are they not? All that kind of stuff. And and as a writer, which I've always, always been, it was uh, initially the thought of it was incredibly daunting because a lot of people who write business books, they're not writers. They're thought yeah. leaders who figure out how to put together a book. They get a lot of support, you know, no shade. They're just not naturally not writers. So they're not yeah. expected to, to be skilled at writing. Well, I'm a writer. So it was very, very important to me that the quality of the writing in the book was up to my creative standards, you know, right. not up to, to my thing, because it's my writing and it's, mm -hmm. you know, and, uh, and it was very scary initially. And, and ironically, because the book's called Swagger. And by the way, when I say swagger, just so if people are listening, they don't, they don't misunderstand. I don't mean that show offy, peacocky, arrogant, in your face kind of thing. That is not how I define swagger. I define it as the ability to manifest who you really are. Mm -hmm. And then hold on to it in the face of all that psychological crap that's going to come for it, regardless of the situation or environment. So it's mm -hmm. about knowing how to show up authentically as your true self all the time. Yeah. Going into the process of writing the book about swagger, 
my swagger was like, you know, like <laughs> how authentic and authentic enough and what is and how does it, you know, all the rest of it. The thing that I committed to, and this was, I think, something that that is a great lesson for anyone who was creative, because I've held that that, you know, through through the rest of, of my experience is mm-hmm. all I cared about was that the tone of the book was the same as if you were sitting next to me and I was talking to you. Yeah. That the tone was a hundred percent unique to me and that it didn't, it wasn't highfalutin. It wasn't fancy schmancy. It was as smart as I am because pretty smart, Mm -hmm. but as accessible as I am, because I'm really accessible. I'm not fancy schmancy. And I love people and I wanted to have that tone, everything, the way that I speak, all that, that good stuff. That's what I held out, held on to. Mm-hmm. And that's the only thing that I was really interested in feedback on. Right. Does it feel accessible? I, that's what I would ask people. I said, is this, does it sound like me? Yeah. Does this feel like me? Yeah. Right. That's all I care well, about. That, listen, and, and honestly, like that's what me and podcasting is. I've listened to a lot of podcasts where it's extremely polished. You know, I'm like, oh my God, your production ah, value is your, well, no, not always, but I mean, boring. well, I think the thing is that I have treated my podcasting as a conversation and I want it to feel like you stumbled into a conversation between two people that are either getting to know each other or do know each other mm-hmm. and want to know each other better. Like it, it's always going to be, it's almost like being on a, on a date for lack of a better term. And I really feel great when I finish a, a conversation and the person says, this has been such a great interview because mm-hmm. they, they didn't think of it as an interview. And anytime I've ever had to almost convince someone to be on the podcast, I'm, I I say like, it's not an interview, it's a conversation. And I tend to move fluidly from one point to another. And I'm really curious saying that I'm really curious about writing a book about swagger your definition of it, writing a book about that. Do you, did you say to yourself, this is the start and this is the end and I'm going to fill in the middle as I go. Or did you go, this is, you know, cause, cause the training is, is specific, right? Mm-hmm. How you train people to think creatively and to, and to, and to let go of their, I don't want to say inhibitions, but their inhibitions when it comes to creative thinking, how do you put that into a book? It's not just about, does it feel like sitting with me over a coffee? It's, it's also about how do you effectively communicate that in a book? Well, there were, there was two things. I mean, you know, over the last 15 years, I've trained, as you said, creativity mm-hmm. also presentation skills, communication, pitching, storytelling, but also leadership, Been doing leadership training for years. And I'm not talking about going into Google and doing leadership training and going into like fortune 100 companies all around the world. And I had these incredible experiences with these incredible people. And I, and I could see the, the impact that the training was having on people, Mm -hmm. whether it was a short program or a six month program, I could see how it was changing people's lives. And people were telling me over and over again, how the experiences that we that we shared had transformed their own sense of the possible their skill set, all that amazing stuff. So I had all of these stories. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to celebrate these stories. So that was that was one of the thing. And the other thing was that I had recognized these consistencies across the board over years. I just kept recognizing the same issues over and over and over again. And I came up with this visual model to represent what it was that I was seeing. Hmm. And when I got that, and it came to me, like it was just in a conversation, I was having a conversation with someone and drawing on a, you know, on a, on a whiteboard just to explain what I was seeing. And, and the guy said to me, that's brilliant. I was like, 
okay, whatever. Like it, I didn't think of it like that. I just said, I'm just trying to show you what's in my head, you kind of thing. And, um, and I started to use that to explain to people what was going on inside of them. And people went, oh my God, yes. Right. It's like you're seeing inside of my brain. How are you doing that? And I went, okay. That's what I've got. So I knew I had the visual model, mm -hmm. which was not complicated. It was a series of concentric circles because I'm not, I'm not a visual model kind of girl. Right? I'm so more Venn like a, diagram. You know, explosion. No, it's not bad. You know, I'm so not bad. I'm so kind of lateral as opposed to, to linear, but yeah. it was a good way to systematically explain it. So I knew I had those two things. Right. And I, I wanted to take people through first with anything, when you, when you write any kind of, of book that's asking people to trust you, in order to make change, mm -hmm. you have to create, you have to set up the argument. Why is this going to be good? Why is this, if, if this, you know, does this sound like you? Are you suffering from this? Is this, right. you know, does this resonate with people? Go, uh-huh, uh-huh. Then you go, okay. So imagine a world where you could be these, uh, like, be like this. Is that what you <laughs> want? And they go, uh-huh. And you go, okay. So do you buy into the fact that it's possible to go from here to here? And then they have to go, uh-huh. And you go, okay. Let's go. I'm going to show you how to do it. <laughs> Maybe so less tracks is made for you. Talk <laughs> to your doctor today. <laughs> so that's kind of the structure of the, of the book. And then broke it down based on those concentric circles. And then mm -hmm. had all of these amazing stories about people who had faced those very challenges in those right. concentric circles and how life had changed for them. Um, exercises, because I come from a training background and I wanted, it, I wanted it to not just be inspirational. For not sure. just rah-rah, you can do it. Yeah. Go girl, you go, you know, I wanted people to, to have the, the tools and the, and the, the techniques right then and there. Mm -hmm. So here's like, you're reading this section now, go do this exercise and come back, go right. do this exercise. So there's a whole bunch of exercises in the book. Um, and then I wanted to hold people's hands. I wanted right. to love on them through the process, mm -hmm. kick them in the ass and love on them through the process, be this little swagger Sherpa kind, right. of, kind of thing. So that was, that was how I structured it, which made sense. It, fortunately it made sense. Yeah. Yeah. To be able to do it like that. You know, did you have any concerns that it it wouldn't be heard in your voice when they read it? Like, did there's something very specific about the way that you speak? One, quickly, uh, but when someone is reading, they put their own voice to it, right? So, you know, you're reading a, a, a novel, you you hear it in the voices that you want to hear it. Do you did you worry at all that your own cadence that the way you would want them to hear it would not be heard well yeah i mean that that is a big that's the fear of any writer anything mm -hmm. that you're writing that's the, the thing is that you have to literally implant your way of communicating into other people's heads so they hear it the way that you want to hear it mm -hmm. so that that was exactly what i was going for i'm all about the little asides i'm all about you know playful sure. serious you know soulful that kind of stuff so i made sure that I did it that way, that as I was writing things, when those asides would occur to me, I would stick them in and I would whatever. And then it was so fun because I did, I did the audiobook as well. Oh, and okay. I, I narrated the audiobook and it was the biggest test. 15 minutes long. <laughs> as to whether, as to whether I had done it. Did it sound you know, like me? Yeah. And people who have, who, who know me, who've listened to the audiobook, they go, oh my God. It's like, they said that when they read the book, it felt like me anyway, but the yeah. audiobook, they felt like I was just sitting next to them and chatting with them, you know, getting, you know, giving That's them an great. ass kicking and chatting with them throughout the whole thing. So I'm, I'm the most proud of that. For sure, that's for great. Sure, for yeah. Sure. Well, I mean, and that's, and obviously I, I felt that you probably were going to answer that way because you did say 
how important it was that it sounded like you were sitting yeah. with someone and, and also he, the whole the whole thing is that if you if you make that decision to to do something in your authentic voice the one thing that you guarantee is the book is not going to sound like anybody else's book mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. which is what stops a lot of people from from doing these big things and putting them out into the world is they're afraid of comparison imposter syndrome they're afraid that that people are going to go oh there's already a book about that who needs another book oh that's not right. new that's not different whatever it is always new and different unique because it comes from you. That's the fact. And well, you got, that's you get, like, that's the fact. Yeah. And I mean, that's, that's one of the, that's one of the tricky things when it comes to training. And I, I, let's talk about that for a second is how does the training that you do for people teach them to be authentic and not just Leslie clones? Oh yeah. That would be the worst thing. The worst insult that you could ever meet upon me. I don't mean to insult you. <laughs> no, 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 not, not you, not you. But I'm saying that if somebody, if somebody goes, Oh, I see somebody presenting, I could tell they were trained by Leslie or I right. could train they see that they were trained by combustion or that's whatever. That would mm-hmm. kill me dead yeah. because my whole, the, everything that I talk about in the training is that it's about, it's not about being this shiny, polished version of anything, mm-hmm. not even including yourself. It's not about being a shiny, polished version of yourself. It's about being the most authentic, the most vulnerable, the most true version of yourself. And then no one can compare you to anyone. Yeah. Which is one of the great, the greatest, most liberating things in the world is that when you defy comparison because you are 100% unique, the thing that I'm helping them to do is, I mean, it's it's ironic because you're training them to be themselves yeah in some way shape or form and so the way that i do it is it's a combination of tough mother love Mm -hmm. it's like get on it okay but it's also loving them through the process because it's scary as hell it's scary as hell to do it and it's even scarier to do it in front of your peers in a room you know in the in a a business setting terrifying and so my number one job is to create an environment in that room in which people feel safe and that what they're going to go through feels like something that's worth having so that their desire outweighs their fear and to know that I've got them. And I, you've known me the same way as I walked into that first meeting, Hugh, when I was fierce and I took control. Mm-hmm. I take control in that in that training room in, in such a way that people do not mess with with the sanctity of the respect that I demand in that room, not for me, but for, for yeah. people in the room. Yeah. Right. You know, and once you do that and you create a safe space, it's amazing what people will do. And as soon as one person, I show vulnerability too. I cry all the time. I mean, it's not a it's not freaking combustion training unless somebody has cried and usually everybody cries because we're all in it together. Mm-hmm. And once someone shows vulnerability, it gives somebody else kind of the, the courage, the permission to show it. And before you know it, everybody's keeping it real. And then mm-hmm. we're all exploding with, with possibility and with growth. Well, and it has to, oh God. So here's where I'm coming out on this is it has to be a, and this is going to sound like I'm just polishing you a little bit, but it has to be a real challenge to get people to be authentic when we spend a lot of our time online creating a curated version of ourselves for people Mm -hmm. to see. So all of a sudden you're demanding authenticity when we have been inauthentic for an incredibly long time. Is that a challenge when you're doing training and is that something that you have a hard time getting people to let go of, or is it no big deal because you're just the best? <laughs> I think it depends. <laughs> I think it depends often on the people. Right. Um, it depends on the corporate environment. Um, I'm very protective of my people, so you, you you know you're not allowed to. People can't are not allowed to come and 
audit or watch or you know whatever right. it's not you know it's safe for for the the people and i think you know the way that social media is going bizarrely i find that it's sort of in two camps there's the progressively curated you know face of perfection and yeah. then there is the progressively vulnerable side to social media where people are speaking their truth people are are asking for help people are talking about mental health issues people are talking about fears people are talking about you know um trauma people are you know there's there's an openness on the other side of it and stuff so i think that in some ways we're we're more open to to speaking our truth in, mm -hmm. in a lot of ways yes there there are going to be haters who are going to come for us in that kind of environment and so on but there are also going to be haters who come for the shiny perfect version of ourselves so it's like would you rather you know accomplish nothing by being shiny and perfect and have haters or would you rather speak your truth connect meaningfully inspire other people be open and still get haters you know yeah. <laughs> like haters wow. haters are yeah. haters so i think that that mm -hmm. it's it's really more um about proving to people the benefits of it you've got to prove to people that that it's worth it. And once you do, they kind of come, you know, they, whatever, like, you know, when, when people leave a, you know, a training, a training session and they go, I, I don't think I'm ever going to be the same. I yeah. don't think I can see the world the same. Mm -hmm. I don't think I, you can't put this back in a box. I don't think I'm going to be able to get up in front of people the same way. Like I, I always say to them, you, you're, you're not going to be able to unsee and unhear and unknow what I'm telling you. So get ready. Right. I'm going to speak truth to you, you know, about you and about this subject. Yeah. You know, I did a lot of public speaking and I, I never, ever think to call myself a speaker. So whenever someone would say I'm a speaker, I'm like, well, we're all speakers if we put our minds to it. Yeah. But but there is a certain level of understanding of an audience and understanding of timing and cadence and, and things like that and, and how to get your thoughts across effectively. So I've learned to become a public speaker, but it isn't Anytime someone says like, I don't know how you do it. I'm almost like practice. Everything mm -hmm. is practice. I yeah. did. I stood on stage. 50 times without it meaning anything whatsoever before I stood on stage when it meant something. Yeah. And by that point I had done 50 hours of talking and it in front of groups and showing work, having a variety of levels of feedback <laughs> from that was great to Jesus. You got to stop drinking before you step in front of a mic. Yeah. <laughs> and then, you know, when I ran the, my networking event, People talked about the comfort and how I made people feel comfortable to hold a mic. And, mm -hmm. and that came down to an understanding that there are two things people are most afraid of. One is death and two is public speaking. Mm -hmm. And if I can make someone feel comfortable to get in front of a microphone and talk about themselves, which is absolutely terrifying, then I've done my job in this regard, in this instance. Now, I couldn't train someone to, to do it on a professional level and on a regular basis, but I can you get someone. Could, you you maybe probably so. could. You're Do you probably need could. a combustion trainer? <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm an unemployed, so, you know, I got nothing <laughs> but time, but it is, but it is interesting. Like the, the, the feedback I would get from the, from the um, first next step events was always, I felt so comfortable. I wasn't going to get up and I did. And it was, mm -hmm. and it just came down to someone got up because I handed them a mic and they wanted to talk about themselves. And it's, it's one of the, it's one of the most gratifying experiences. So when you're doing a training session, when you're doing training sessions, the gratification of seeing someone break through that particular, the, the little shells you see them having built up over the years, mm -hmm. how gratifying is that? Oh, it's everything. It's the whole, it's the reason for being right. Like that's the whole reason. reason for Yeah. My whole purpose. I said my, my entire purpose is helping to unleash human potential. Mm -hmm. And the fact that I have 
curated my life in such a way that I get to do that all the time, mm-hmm. all the time, all the time, all the time. That's what I do. Yeah. I, it, I, I mean, I'm the luckiest freaking person on the planet because who gets to who gets to see evidence of their good work in the moment? And then people fill in feedback forms. There's luck. And they say it on paper like it's it's the best thing ever. I mean, you got to be prepared to take it on the chin, too, because then people there are people who go that sucked. That there sucked. will always be people who yeah. go, that sucked. Um, well, don't feed the trolls. But I go, you know what? It wasn't for you. That's okay. You weren't ready for it. It wasn't right for you. All good. It's not mm-hmm. a reflection on me. Mm-hmm. It's not that I did something wrong. It's that it wasn't the right connection. It wasn't the right time. It wasn't the right environment. Whatever. There's a million factors. It's all good. You know, it's all yeah. love. It's all good. Uh, you know, I have a real problem with the word luck, to be honest. I have a real problem when there is ample evidence to show effort has proven you out it's not mm. luck it's luck oh, no, is... i said it's all love it's not oh, luck oh okay i got no, worried i got I worried don't believe that... it. i'm gonna check I, my headphones real quick i believe in i believe in opportunity that's what i there believe. you go okay i believe in opportunity yeah oh yeah it yeah. is it is very difficult to i i i have just heard it so many times with creative people most especially they talk about how lucky they luck, are to yeah. what i'm like now, luck is luck is you graduated from college you did one well, good project and all of a sudden you're creative director that's am... luck and, I, am, and I mean, I am lucky in that I figured out how to create the world and the world responded to me. I mean, I think it's a, it's the perfect confluence of a million different things. Mm-hmm. And I feel very fortunate. Maybe fortunate is the, is the yeah. a, a better word. I, I use fortunate that, all the time. Yeah. That, you know, that I was able to, to sort of create that perfect little storm of opportunity that I then stepped into and worked my ass off. That's what I'm talking about. Fifteen years. That's what know, I'm talking about. Do. But yeah. I want to. I want to talk. I want to talk about about this. I'm gonna. I'm gonna pivot a little. Here. Yeah. Um, I want to talk about this crazy last little chapter of my life that I'm going through right now because I think it, it. It is to me, ironically, perhaps the most gratifying um, creative stage that I've ever been in. About a year ago, in December last year, and you know, I'm losing my mind because I'm not able to travel like I normally mm-hmm. travel. I'm stuck at home, mm-hmm. and I'm uh, my only hobby is boxing. I don't have any other hobbies. It's work and boxing in my family. That's that's kind of it. So my husband said you should get some paints. I was like, dude, okay. I first of all, I have zero artistic ability. Lots of creative talent, zero artistic talent. I've never been able to draw, sketch, paint, never taken an art class in my life. Can't mm-hmm. even play Pictionary, but the worst. He said, you might like it. It might be relaxing. So he bought me some paints. I painted a few ugly trees. It was not satisfying at all. And then I thought, <laughs> I'm going to try and paint a, a self-portrait because that could be fun, right? right. Now, I speak as someone who doesn't even know how to draw an eye. I don't even know where eyes go on the face in relation to the rest of it, right? And nothing. But so right. I, I, I very preciously tried to sketch out from a photograph of myself and did what was really not a very good portrait, but it was fun. I really enjoyed it. And I thought, well, that makes sense because I love people mm-hmm. and I love looking at people. So maybe I'm going to paint another portrait. So I, I started to find portraits that I liked. They were a lot of them were very abstract, very colorful. And I, I would sort of try and copy them. Mm. But because I don't have the skills... I couldn't really copy them. And it was more to show me, where do you put eyes on a face? Where do you put, how do you make a tilt of a head? I don't know. I don't understand how to create depth or how to, you know, nothing. Like all right. every time it was this great adventure. And I made a commitment to myself that I would finish every painting that I started with this zero from this point of zero skill set, zero knowledge. Mm-hmm. And I would post every single one on social media. And okay. I would talk about what I learned about the process. 
Like, yeah. Oh my God, I learned how to make an eye today. It was so cool. Or I learned about color or how I felt. And I was going to do it without fear of judgment in any way, shape or form. I wasn't looking for criticism or feedback or anything. It was just to do it, put it out there. Maybe someone would learn from what I experienced. Maybe they'd get inspired, whatever. So mm -hmm. I just kept doing that. I just kept painting and painting and painting. And then a, a friend of mine who's like this fancy schmancy speaker, he came to me and he said, I want to buy one of your paintings. And I was like, <laughs> Okay, dude, you can have one of my paintings. They're stacking up here. You can please feel free. He said, no, no, I want to honor your work. I want to, I want to buy sure. it. Sure. Yeah. I was like, okay, cool. Um, but no, I will not take your money. He said, well, what if I make a donation to charity in exchange for one of your, your paintings? I was like, oh, now we're talking. Now yeah. you have my attention all day long. Yes. Yeah. So he did that. And I posted that on social media. And then other people started to go, well, I want to buy one. Can I buy one? I was like, well, sure, sure, you can buy one. Mm -hmm. And things just got a little crazy. Mm -hmm. And people started asking to buy my paintings. People I didn't know, strangers. I don't like, I, the first time I sold them to a stranger, I was like, shut up. And I, I was in this incredible <clears throat> sort of virtuous loop doing this thing that I was loving to do. People were responding so positively to it. I was learning every single time I painted. Mm -hmm. And people were not only experiencing the joy of, of making a donation to something, right, to, some, to, to do good with it, but then yeah. they had the fun of having the painting and having the story behind that. So I thought, well, let me, let me make this a little bit easier for people. And I, and I, um, I launched a website called Portrait for Good. Okay. And I posted all of the, 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 um, the pictures. I also have them on my, my personal um, social media. And I came up with a list of inclusive charities that I liked, but people were willing to bring their own inclusive, inclusive charity to the party and make a, make a donation to that inclusive charity. There was a minimum donation. And I've now been doing that for over a year. I've raised about almost $6,000. Amazing. I've sold, I don't know how many I've sold, however amount, it's a minimum $250 donation. Mm -hmm. And I have explored my own creativity in a way that has been so freaking mind-blowing mm -hmm. i cannot tell you because apparently i got some kind of talent for this you know right. i apparently i have a talent for this something i never would have explored otherwise something i could never have done without being a hundred percent lacking in self-consciousness there was i i had to not take the work seriously in any way she, like i couldn't have gotten to the place where i'm actually developing a style Right. It's becoming something that I'm developing a tiny little ounce of competence in because I think that artistic competence is like, oh my God, like I am at the very, very beginning of this, this journey, mm -hmm. but I cannot tell you how much I've learned about myself and my own creativity in this process. Unfreaking, but unbelievable, unbelievable. Mm -hmm. And I'm doing good. How cool is that? And I'm, I'm almost 60. It's very cool. It's the coolest. Let me ask you a question. Yeah. Has this experience and this journey, has it affected your training? Has it affected how you look at what you train and how you train? I don't, I think it reinforces and cements, Okay. you know, what I, what I've been saying. I think that, that sometimes you got to smoke your own crack, you know? Sure. And I try and do that every There's day. There's got to be a better I phrase than that. I try. <laughs> <laughs> you gotta smell your own farts. I don't know. I don't know. 
Eat your own cookies. You, I don't know. Eat your own cookies. Yeah. This is not that kind of podcast. Like I do that. I mean, I, I, I aspire to model, you know, what I'm asking. Mm-hmm. If I'm asking people to be fearless, I got to be fearless. If I'm asking people to be authentic, I got to be authentic. Yeah. And I think that it's just another way to express the benefits of being fearless. Right the benefits of putting yourself out there, the fact that you don't know what's going to happen when you take a step off that cliff. Mm-hmm. It's all about self-belief. You don't you don't know what's going to happen, but you will never, ever, ever freaking know until you take that step off the cliff. And if you're so focused on the fact that you could hit the ground and die, mm-hmm. you will never fly. It's not, you know, it's like Peter Pan, you know, said to, Wendy said to Peter Pan, but Peter, what if I fall? And he said, Wendy, what if you fly? Right. right. That that's where where all the possibility lies, and I a thousand percent never thought I had this in me. In fact, to, to the contrary, I thought that I I really did not have this in me. Right. And so it wasn't like I was exploring to see what I had in me. It was just I was doing it for the sake of doing it, and it taught me the greatest lesson possible. That mm-hmm. that you know, if you give yourself over to something, it's not about the end end run. It's not about the end goal. It's about what I've learned in the process. That's so powerful. Yeah, I would say you are probably one out of twenty people I know that started doing something creative during the pandemic because they were locked in their homes. They had, they were getting miserable. All everybody was getting depressed, drinking too much, not sleeping enough, zoomed out, just went, I have to do something. And you are, you're probably one of 20 people that either baked bread or learned to play an instrument or painted. And every single person I know that started a creative endeavor, whether it's writing or painting or, just drawing or whatever, the benefits to their mental health, regardless of whether or not they were posting and selling or whatever, like what happened for you is it's relatively unique. You know, like I, I, I had my own creative output and donated money through sales of my product, but that doesn't happen for everybody because not everybody thinks, how do I translate this into something that's going to do social good on top of everything else? Like that is. Yeah. Well, I always, I always look for that angle for me. It's always sure. like during the pandemic, I got mad. I, mm-hmm. I was mad. I also launched my book during the pandemic. So I had, I mean, I had to get out of bed every day. Cause I, I, you know, launching a book is really freaking yeah. hard. You know, I, I have a publisher and all the rest of it, but it's a really freaking hard. I think I recorded about, 90 podcasts wow. in a in a three-month period so that theoretically is one every day but i wasn't sometimes i was doing three four amazing days. like i was doing that i was doing tv i was doing radio i was doing you know social media like crazy i mean it was incredibly hard and i got mad about the fact that i often felt helpless yeah during the pandemic that's pissed me off because i've never felt helpless in my life yeah and and all of a sudden there was this very real thing that was being imposed, you know, upon me that was seemingly limiting my ability to do mm-hmm. things. And I went like, uh, my pendulum was swung so far the other way. I was, I quit drinking. Right. Cause I could, right. I was like, no, screw you. I'm not, I'm not falling into the same trap that everybody else is. I lost 80 pounds. Wow. I was like, no, not doing it. Taking control back of my life. I really, really focused on launching my book and saying, no world, you are not going to rob me of this incredible opportunity and this experience to, to launch my book with as much gusto as I possibly can. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to dig deeper into, into my creativity because I can. Because I was like, you know, I was mad at the, not mad at people of, of the world, but I was mad at the world mm-hmm. for, for, for daring to, to limit me. Limit me. <laughs> Dare, I, you know, I, you know, no, not on my watch. Right. It is not happening. And also I wanted to prove to myself that my belief, my self-belief that I 
that the, the, my potential is limitless, I had to prove it out. Mm -hmm. So like, even in the face of a goddamn pandemic, I will not be held down. Like, you know, it's not going to happen. Yeah. And, and I proved, I proved myself right yet again, yeah. you know, and it's not because, you know, people say to me, Oh my, Oh my God, let's say, is there nothing that you can't do? And I go, no, see, that is not it. There is nothing that I won't try. Right. I don't care what happens. I don't care if it's successful. But there is nothing I won't try because why the hell? Well, not? especially why if you not? don't believe in I mean, failure, Leslie. <laughs> yeah. What? What is failure other than? Oh, I man, I, I learned, learned a lot, lot from that. I can't yeah. do that. I can't do that. I, you know, I learned that I'm not I good ended at that. Up, you know, I ended up pausing my little project because somebody had said, you know, enough with the rainbows, and I it it bothered me. Enough with the rainbows? Yeah, it bothered me a ton because it was a pride project, and so I I decided yeah. I was going to do pride work for a year. But what? shitty thing to say to any other human it's a shitty thing to say and i my reaction at the what? time had been and my immediate reaction was you don't need to follow me if you don't like what i'm posting yeah. just stop following and he, he said why are you being combative yeah. so it turned into a whole thing and i i remember i i left i just stopped responding someone else took up the argument on my behalf and and i just sort of sat back and went oh shit like because they were saying he's doing a good thing it's all about experimentation. Why aren't you being more supportive of that? And I took what somebody I somebody else had said on Twitter years ago when he was fighting a, a racist, and he had said, "This isn't an airport. You don't need to announce your departure. Just stop following me, and we don't ever need to talk again." And it's the person that yeah, you know how I handle the haters on social media, hmm. Hugh. Delete block. <laughs> I. It's in my uh, world. It's sure. my world. I'm not. I. I have no time for yeah. that. It's like you want to come and have a conversation. Always open. You want to disagree with me. Always open. You want to give me feedback. Always open. But you come with your hate. Oh, oh, oh. No, because if you stood in front of me with your hate, I'd pop you one. Right. And believe me, I know how to pop right. you one. Like I will lay you out. <laughs> so uh, this is no different. You don't come and spew your shit on me. It's the same way that if I hear if I hear somebody being negative out in the world, if I hear somebody being mm -hmm. racist or homophobic or sexist or whatever, I'm a, I will be I am that person who will go, hey, yeah. what the no, yeah. you shut your face. That is unacceptable. Blah blah blah. I'm you know I have no time for the bullies, so they are not allowed into my world. No, take your vitriolic trolley shit and go elsewhere. So if that ever happens to you, you come talk to me. <laughs> I I will cut a bitch for you first of all. It's okay. And then I will coach you. Through I'm the not afraid. Of I'm not afraid of, of confrontation. I just I I chose the path of education. I chose the path of education over yeah. cutting them off because I I feel I felt that you do that one time. Yeah. No, and that's what you I did. Do, you I give just them the opportunity. And then blocking it's... people unless it's weird anyway so oh. i want to i want to revisit something you'd said and it's a indicative of where we are right now as a as a society and and I, I i think i think you'll probably see it as soon as i say it you said we're seeing people tell their truth telling them how we feel you know as opposed to that mm -hmm. um, facade of everything is fine what we've seen in the past couple of years is things aren't fine. Things are bad. Things are mm -hmm. in general bad. Doesn't mean individually things can't be good. Yeah. But but it used to be people are good. Things yes. are bad. And so what what I've discovered and what I've seen in the past couple of years is initially when someone would say I am fucking losing it, you know, they would it would be this really heartfelt post of like I need help. I need I need help. And. I, mm -hmm. And some would say, you know, so brave, so brave, so brave of you. And this was like a few years mm -hmm. ago. That's what you would get is like, that was so brave. Yeah. Now it's 
people just take it in stride and say, I hear you, me too. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And it's an interesting thing where yeah. when it's someone I know and they they I reach out to them privately and I, you know, and I'll say, like, if you need someone to talk to, I may be struggling too, but maybe there's something I can talk to you about that could help. Do you find yeah. you're doing that as well? Or are you just I don't I'm not saying just, are you observing and making note? Or is it more of a this is where we are societally. I do. I think it's pretty amazing that people have a place to put their stuff. Mm-hmm. Because very often they didn't have anywhere to put it. And I love, like, I I, I go on TikTok and and I, I joined TikTok only a few months ago because I was, you know, too yeah, much same. to do. But I joined, I joined TikTok and I post every single day. And I post a swagger tip every single day. And I, you know, whatever. And I... I see these, I cry like an idiot constantly. That's what I do. I, I, I scroll and I cry and you hear people who, you know, someone who's someone who's queer or someone who's non-binary and saying, I'm getting married. And my mother said, they're not going to come to yeah. oh. the wedding yeah. and they, they cry. They have nowhere else to put it. And then what happens? 6,000 people stand up and say, I will walk you down the aisle. I will be your parent. I will love on you. Mm -hmm. You have people who, you know, who you have um, Mama Tot. You know who Mama Tot is? No. She's she's this incredible woman on TikTok who who lost her son. Her son was murdered. Okay. uh, Like last year. And I don't even know if she'd been doing this before or since, but she has just designated herself as the person who's going to sit and be with someone who's going through bad stuff. Right. And she literally, she responds to everybody, but sometimes she'll just sit down and she'll go, hi, it's Mama Tot. Just got a nice piece of pie. And I just wanted to sit with you for a little bit so that you can <laughs> sit with me and know that somebody is here with you. How's your day? Whatever. Right. And she does this. It's incredible. She is just makes space for the people who, who need her. You know, mm-hmm. so these kinds of things that are happening are, are the, the depth of our understanding now of what we as humans need when we are in crisis. We don't always need to be fixed. Mm-hmm. Sometimes we just need to be held. Yeah. We need to be seen. We need to be held. We need to be acknowledged. Our humanity, our our, our authenticity needs to be recognized and respected. Mm-hmm. You know, we don't need... We don't necessarily need meds. There are doctors for that. We don't necessarily need a parade thrown for us. We don't need whatever. We just want someone to say, as you said, I see you. Mm-hmm. You're, you're important and your truth is important. And mm-hmm. I am here for it. I'm here for your truth. So that's, that is like, to me, it's the most fundamental thing that we can do for each other as humans. Yeah. Like the fact that that has not always been a thing, like something that's been reserved for our friends or our, yeah. you know, our family to me is shocking because I, tr- I've tried to live my life like that to have, you know, but I'm like a big walking empathy wound, which is hard. It can be sure. hard too, you know, and I've learned to let, let people stuff move through me, not for me to not carry it, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. that it can move through me and I can feel the things and I can respond. I can't respond to everybody. I can't, you know, fi- and, and I try- stop trying to fix everybody. I don't want, I don't need to fix everybody. If they need me, I'm going to do my best, but I also can't help everybody. So I can't, you know what I mean? It's it, you, you we do our best, but sometimes just <laughs> acknowledging, just saying, I hear you. I see yeah. you. Yeah. Uh, this is a, this is a, it's going to feel like a 180 and I'm, I'm sorry to do this. And I <laughs> just, it popped into my head while you were talking. I was thinking about you saying how you got mad and it was like the limitations of the pandemic made you angry and, and yeah. you were going to take control of every single thing <clears throat> you could take control of because you lack control in one thing. So yeah. uh, I'm curious about why you're doing publicity for a book about creativity and that process. What was, 
This is going to sound so fucking dumb and I'm sorry to do it. Go, go. What was the question that you always got that you were, it was like you internally rolled your eyes so hard you could see the back of your head. Like every time you had to answer that question, you thought, God damn it. I've answered this question 95 times already. Well, I got it. I got it. You're gonna and you're gonna hate this answer because it's gonna sound sucky. I never rolled my eyes because any question, any interest in the subject matter made me happy. Right? Okay. Okay. So I was always, I was always happy. But a lot of people would say to me, "Did you come into the world with swagger? You know, where did you get your swagger from?" Uh-huh. A lot of people would ask that, and I think um, uh, so. And it, sometimes people would ask with a tone, right? You know, did a lot of radio, a lot of U.S. radio. Okay. So sometimes you get people with a tone, like so. How did, did you, you get, get all swagger? that swagger, girl? You know, that that kind of thing. Uh, and they were expecting some, I don't know what kind of answer. Um, right. So that that wasn't, you know, it didn't it didn't sway me, but people would or people would ask, were you born with it? And and all, often the question of were you born with it is like I had I have a gift that right. other people would have to have been born with in order to get it. Right. So the assumption that that I came into the world with swagger and that's the only way you end up with swagger. Sure. Right. That it can't be learned. I was like, no. Well, yes, that's counterintuitive was, to know, doing a training course about swagger in yeah, that case. Yeah. Right. You know, and, and the thing that I that I tell people is that, yes, I was born with swagger. My lifelong challenge has been holding on to it and mm-hmm. not letting the world beat it out of me because it sure as hell tried. Let me tell you, yeah. it was not easy being me. It's never been easy being me because I'm a lot of person. Mm-hmm. I'm a lot and, and I'm not for everybody. And, uh, certainly earlier in my life as well. Cause I think I have, you know, I have more wisdom now, you know, I'm, I'm able to be more nuanced and more measured and I'm, you know, I'm able to not be a fucking hurricane wherever I go. What? But certainly growing up, I was a hurricane all the time yeah. and it pissed a lot of people off mm-hmm. and I broke the rules and I was a nonconformist and I wanted to do things my own way. And my intention was never to hurt anybody or be mean or be bad. But I took up a lot of space and, and, yeah. you know, and so on. And I had to fight really, really hard. Oh, this is crazy, Hugh. So when I when I got the call that my book had made the Wall Street Journal uh, bestseller list, okay, I thought that I was going to experience this sense of elation right. and accomplishment. Like I thought that because it's like for an author, it's the same thing as winning a freaking Oscar or something. I mean, we don't have a lot of measurement things for book. It's a bestseller and it was on this prestigious list and stuff. Right. And I was hit with this huge wave of emotion, but I recognized very quickly, it was not joy and elation. It was mm-hmm. something much, much, much darker. And I kind of sat with it for a minute and went, what's going on? What is happening now? Right. And I realized that I was mad. Mm-hmm. I was fucking mad. And I was mad because of what I had to do my whole life in order to get to the point that I was able to do this thing that was in service of other people. I was mad at all of those people who had tried to change me. I was mad at the, at the world, the conformist world who kept trying to tell me that I would never amount to anything unless I did it their way, right. or, you know, mm-hmm. some prescribed way. I was mad at how hard I had to fight just to be myself. Oh mm-hmm. man, was I mad. And once I realized I was mad, I let go of it. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> oh, that makes sense. Okay, I'm over it now. I'm you over know, it. And then I was happy that I was out. Introspection is, it's a, it's a special gift 
being able to recognize what you are going through in the moment mm. you're going through it is a very difficult thing to do. And I think, yeah, I think that's very telling that what you have uh, been doing to help other people is you apply it to your own life and your own headspace. And I think mm. it's great if you can say, I thought I'd be happy, but I'm not. What am I? Oh shit. I'm, I'm yeah. furious. I'm yeah. furious. Yeah. Well, one of the things that I teach people um, how to do when I'm, when I'm coaching them is, is, you know, everyone's trying to figure themselves out and they're like, in such a rush, in such a frenzy to figure themselves out. And they're so stressed out about it. And I go, whoa, whoa, breathe. Okay. Mm -hmm. So all we're going to do is when you notice that you're triggered, when you, you've, we all know when we're triggered, we get mm -hmm. that jolt of a little bit of adrenaline, response, right? yep. yeah. heart, heartbeat, right? we're, we're triggered. I don't want you to try and figure it out. I don't want you to do anything other than go, huh, isn't that interesting? Mm -hmm. That's it. That's all you got to do. I don't, don't try and fix it. Don't try and decode it. No, nothing. Just, huh, isn't that interesting? And, and then let it go yeah. and keep doing that. Keep doing that. Keep doing that. And then you're going to start to notice that you have these patterns, you know, mm -hmm. and then you're going to go, huh, isn't that interesting that whenever uh happens, I feel, uh. Isn't that interesting? Again, don't try and fix it. Don't try and solve it. And that's the process that we use to develop the kind of self-awareness that allows us to then go, huh, isn't that interesting that when mm -hmm. I that this happens, I feel, uh, I wonder if it's because, or I wonder why that is. Mm -hmm. And then you start to be able to slowly play with it. I wonder if it's because of this. I wonder if it's because of that. But you've been so gentle with yourself in the process of building that self-awareness you haven't beat yourself up for it. You haven't questioned whether it's valid. You haven't yeah. anything. You've just noticed acknowledge that it. it's happening. Acknowledge yeah. it. You know, just that's it. Acknowledge it, own it, move on. And over time, you start getting more curious because it feels less overwhelming. It's done. Mm -hmm. and, and that's the, that I think is the process that works really well to start figuring yourself out and go, oh, that's why I'm doing that. Oh, that makes so much sense. Because when I was a kid, this shit happened to me. And now I tend to respond every time this happens. Yeah. doesn't matter who does it. I, I, I feel like I'm five years old again. Cool. It's not interesting. Right. Yeah. The fight or flight scenario. Um, yeah. So I don't know why this popped into my head, but I am curious about it. So you've been running combustion for, you said 15 years. Training? Yeah. Like 15, 16 years now. Yeah. Over that, over the course of, as you because what you trained in the beginning is not what you train now and how you train in the beginning is not how you train now you've it has evolved right the, nothing mm -hmm. is the same ever it should never ever always be the same like the, the, the evolution is is the the how we all live i'm curious about whether or not you have taken a psychologist through the training to get a almost a, a clinical reaction to how you train so that so that you can better understand how people may react to how you train no i have never done that and i i don't think i would ever do that no huh? because i think sometimes would it make you question how you're doing it because yeah someone... it's the naivete that sure. that is actually the thing i i come come at it I, I love psychology. I love the study and I read a lot mm -hmm. and I look at theories and I look at and things that make sense. I've also been in therapy my whole life. Sure. So I understand the principles and so on and so forth. Um, and in some way, you know, at the beginning, people were kind of like my little lab rats, yeah. you know, and I, I wasn't trying to break them, but I was testing theories. I wonder if I, if I do it this way, will people be more responsive or whatever? So I think human beings have been my teachers. Yeah. 
And that's how I've learned about what works and what doesn't and what, what gets a positive response and what, and what doesn't. So I've been doing my own sort of psychological studies over, over the years and have evolved as, as a result. And mm-hmm. I learn, you know, when I read really interesting things, um, I don't, I don't buy into everything that I read because it's, you know, just because, you know, there is, there is stuff written about it and there has been a study doesn't make it universally true it makes it true for for the essence stuff so i i try and have a healthy dose dose of sort of skepticism i trust most the the people who are in front of me because they teach me Mm -hmm. they're my teachers that's how the that's how the training has evolved is that something will happen organically and i'll go oh man I wonder sure. if that's, I wonder if I did that again or that way, if people would respond the same. Yeah, way. I, I, I promise you, I, I, I promise yeah. you, I, I don't mean it from a validation point no, of view. No. I meant, I meant, I meant from a, like, w- would someone who is trained in psychology say, oh, that's this technique. You know what yeah. I mean? Well, like I something think... that you take from, from having been in, in, in therapy or, or having spoken to a psychologist, things that you take from, from that openness, being yeah. open you 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 have applied in being open with and making people be open is like you are the therapist right like well yeah because i i think that i find yeah because people say that the training with me is like is like going right. to therapy i have found that it's also worked in reverse is that i've been doing a thing for ages and then i i discovered that that's actually a psychological principle right. yeah that, that of this and i go oh yeah no i've been doing that yeah, that makes sense to me. And of course, it's a, a, a sound psychological principle because it's about how human beings operate or whatever. So I found it much more in reverse mm-hmm. that, because I would almost be irresponsible of me because I'm not a therapist and I'm not a, you know, a trained psychotherapist mm-hmm. to take the, you know, to actively consciously take the principles of psychotherapy and bring them into the room. That would yeah. be dangerous, I think, right? 100%. I, I don't, 100%. I don't do that. But I, I do, um, I do find that a lot of the things that I do will fall on, you know, like will fall into the category of like CB, CBT, for example, sure, cognitive behavioral therapy, because CBT is, you know, it's a, it's a really sound way of creating behavior change. Mm-hmm. So to a degree, you know, you're sprinkling it into into what you do, um, neurolinguistics, um, you know, uh, the 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 theories of, of creating, you know, psychological safety, what does that take? And what does that look like? All of those things are, are super thing, but it would scare me if I went too far into that. Yeah. You know, no. And, and started to veer into like, you know, dangerous territory. Cause I don't want to, yeah. I don't want to break someone by no. accident. Well, or, 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 or change what is. Or and traumatize I them. I yeah. You know, you know, I don't it's interesting. Them. Uh, you know, I had a conversation. I was probably, I was in college and I remember talking to my mom and I was telling her about a conversation I'd had with, uh, one of my peers and I, uh, you know, I, I said, Oh, they're like this. And I, and I said, yeah, I sort of wish I could take a course on psychology. I think I should take a course. And she goes, Oh, I, I wouldn't because your intuition is really solid. Mm. And I, and I reacted at the, at the time I reacted kind of like, Oh, sure. Mom, you know, but part of, part of what we do as, as people is, is, is gauge our, story on reactions from other people so Mm -hmm. when you're doing training you're watching everyone like it's Mm -hmm. not it's not like you're just going step a step b step c step four you know just to see if everyone is paying attention and it's it's more about and this is my reaction to how in being in your training while you're doing your thing and, and 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 parlaying your steps out you're watching everyone Mm-hmm. And it's all about the reactions that they are providing you 
and how you're going to modify or whatever. Like, you know what I mean? Like it's an mm-hmm. internal discussion you must be having. Cause I saw it working. I don't know. There's something very intuitive about the way you train. Yeah. I mean, I, I for me, it is, I'm so zoned in, like nothing, nothing else exists other than what's happening with those humans in that room at that time. Right. I'm yeah. a thousand percent. I put all of my very, you know, sizable energy and my, and my focus into that experience. Like I am all in from the time that I walk into that room, you are my babies. I mm-hmm. love you. I'm here to do nothing other than take you on this, on this journey, regardless of what the, the subject matter is. Mm-hmm. And, and so you do, you have to be your antenna are up whipping around constantly because you're looking at dynamics. You're looking at how the information is going in. Are people getting it? Is there resistance? What are the dynamics between the participants? Mm-hmm. Are, am I butting up against the culture of the, of the country? of the, you know, of the, of the culture itself, of the, of the organizational culture, um, are, are, are people's behaviors getting in the way of other people's stuff? You got to gently shut down stuff that is, you know, people don't recognize or getting in the way of the learning. I mean, it yeah. is not an easy gig, which is why I, um, I, the way that I built my company, I built, I built it very slowly mm-hmm. and I made a commitment that I wasn't going to hire trainers. I was only going to hire subject matter experts and teach them how to be trainers. Right. Because That's so there's this is where my question was going to lead to. Yeah. yeah. Is yeah. how do you how do you how do you make someone into a trainer, right? And yeah. that's what you're doing. You're not making you're not taking someone who is like a hey, guess what? I can make somebody do something I want them to do. Yeah. yeah. But you're taking someone who is like really good at something that's not related to training and making them into a trainer. Yeah. Well, they have to be I mean for me, one of the things about combustion, it's always been the credibility. Mm-hmm. When we go in and train people, we've walked that talk. We've lived that. We know it. You can bring us to your real world problems in that room and we're going to be able to help you solve them because we've worked in the fields that we're training in. Right. Right. So it's not just agency. It's what it, whatever it, it might be. Right. And after now, you know, um, you know, how many years have I been doing training? When I started doing leadership training in the corporate environment, it was daunting because I didn't have a lot of experience. I had years of being a creative director but I didn't have, you know, years of being a, you know, a VP of, you know, blah, blah, blah at TD Bank. Right. And I was going in and training, um, you know, TD leaders, but I was able to translate everything that I've learned as a leader in a large corporation, which is what I was doing, you know, at, you know, at McCann Mm -hmm. into those environments. And that I learned, 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 learned. Right. Um, So, so for me, it's, it's much, so number one, you gotta have the expertise that you can bring to the party that you can infuse the training you know you're gonna i'm gonna all my trainers have their own workshops that they they build with my support and stuff to to make sure that their expertise is is being communicated effectively right but then they've got to be a certain kind of person they've got to be a certain kind of human they've got to be deeply empathetic they've got to be very very fast processing fast on their feet they have to be in it for the right reasons they have to be someone who as a human being is in service of other people mm-hmm. um, they have to have a great sense of humor they have to you know they have to, the empathy has to be big time and they have to be strong enough to contain the room but not overwhelm the room right so yeah. it's that's why my company grew really freaking slow because these people are not falling off trees yeah and, and it had to be they i didn't want them to be just like me they had to be their own version of that but the call i wanted the human qualities to be the same. And, and I remember when we got to the, po- the sort of the tipping point in the, in the, the, the growth of the company where there were people who had been trained by combustion, who had no idea who I was, who'd never encountered really? me, 
would never <laughs> in any way, shape or form. I hadn't dealt with them as a client and I hadn't been in the room to train them. Right. That was the coolest, you know, and their experience with combustion was the same as if I had gone into the room or whatever. That's... They were saying the same things about the experience. That was pretty cool. How many, uh, how many trainers do you have now? Like what is now the... I have, I have five people who, wow. I, who I play with, you know, and over the pandemic, we went through the same shit as everybody else did. I had to, yeah. I, my company was decimated the yeah. first year. Nobody was doing any training. It right. was, it was, I had, you know, my, my right-hand woman uh, who'd been with me at that point for what, 12, 13 years. I, you know, I had to let go of everybody, yeah. everybody one by one by one by one. I had to let go of everybody. It was, it was the most devastating time ever. I, and again, I was so mad about that because mm -hmm. my, my plan had been to, I was, I was transitioning more and more into speaking and, more, you know, I was still training, but I had a, a this beautiful, well-oiled, you know, machine that was that, you know, where, where we were working and I was giving, was giving me the freedom to develop more content, to work yep. on my book, to, to go and, and speak more and stuff. And I was getting those opportunities more and more. And, um, and my plan was to give the company to my team. I was just going to give it to them. Right. You know, take a little profit share at the end of the day, let them continue to build this amazing thing that they'd been party to building. And I was going to go off and do this kind of next thing. And the whole mm -hmm. thing just got blown up. And I was so sad for them. Yeah. I mean, I offered them the opportunity, but it was, what were they going to do? What, How were they going to take what it over? Them? I was yeah. giving them, right? So then I had to slowly rebuild it. Yeah. So I rebuilt it over the, over the, the, you know, the last couple of years went back, you know, started training virtually, which was never my plan. Um, and then, you know, built it back up. Were you able to retain uh, or, or get back the people that you had to let go or no, oh, no that's such a bummer. No. And the model doesn't sustain it anymore because the world has changed. Yeah. It's right. changed. It's not necessary. You know, we don't have offices anymore. We had to give up all of that. Um, we mm. don't have to have the same things. I had to make decisions about which, which workshops I could continue to do and which I couldn't because they required too much prep and shipping and things and all of that yeah. stuff. Hard decisions, man. It was really, really, really hard. But, you know, you don't, you, you, you got to be able to roll with the punches. Mm -hmm. I mean, literally roll with the punches. And I went, well, what, what life do I want? You know, what am I in service of and how do I continue to do that in a way that's meaningful to me? And the scale of it was less important. It yeah. was just how do I continue to be in my place of purpose and do my good work? And I've, you know, I mean, I spend so much time now speaking and, and you know, on Swagger and still training. Yeah. It's not to love. I'm very lucky and I'm still able to funnel work to my trainers, which was my my primary focus over the pandemic. It was how to keep money going into their pockets as well, because mm -hmm. everybody was suffering the, the, the same way. So I made sure that, that that was part of what my mandate was. And then, you know, the world has come out the other end, but it's forever changed. Yes, yeah. it, it will be forever changed and we have to adapt. To what it, an incredible, know? what an incredible, it's, it's so funny, but I never know when to end interviews. I never do. I, I always wait for that moment where I think, well, this is a good one. And I have to say, this is a good moment. You know, I, we, we have covered off things that I honestly had when we started, when, when you first put your hand up and said, I'll be a guest. I was like, Oh, I don't know. You know, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> no, no, no. I, I do that with everybody. I'll be honest with you. I do that with everybody. If I don't know them intimately or not intimately, but if I don't know them very, very well, I, I tend to question not necessarily the validity of it, but always just how do I, how do I, go through a conversation. I'm, I'm quite good at conversation, but I, but I want to make sure that I 
you've said the word service so many times. I want to make sure I pay appropriate service to the past four years of podcasting. I don't want to all of a sudden be a shill, you know? Um, And more often than not, I I worry about being a shill and I fucking have adored this conversation. But if you're worried about being a shill, it's, you're not a shill. The shills don't worry about being a shill. You're a sellout, man. No, but I, listen, I have to, I have to say, and it, it is, it is part of, you've said it a number of times too, is, is authenticity matters. I have, I have just 100% adored this conversation. Yeah, I have, I have absolutely enjoyed reconnecting with you. Um, understanding your journey has, uh, has provided me with an insight that I, I hope, I hope gets translated out into the podcast since it's a an audio podcast not a video podcast being face to face virtually as it is so good seeing, right? seeing you smile seeing you know just the, the everything about it seeing you mad you know like uh, there are things that are not conveyed through audio that are conveyed visually and i i may end up taking bits and pieces and making them little video bits but i don't know Feel I keep free. saying that. I keep saying that, but I I never ever do. Part of it is just I don't know if I'm lazy or I have other things. But Leslie, thank you, thank you, thank you so much for talking to me today. Oh, Hugh, it, this has been so much fun, so much fun. I just feel like it was like, hey, Hugh, we'll go for coffee, we'll catch yeah, up. Exactly. We would have probably had the exact same conversation if we just pretty much the exact same conversation. The, I think the big difference is that none of these are ever about me. So if I interject my own life into it, it, it tends to be trying to drag into something else. So I, I really do. I've, I've really just enjoyed this to no end. So have I. And you know what? I think uh, I think you're in your place of purpose as well. Wow. So just I keep doing it. That. Keep doing it. This episode of Can't Sell This was produced in Toronto, Ontario, Canada. All creative content in this episode is copyright Hugh Elliott and Stefan Grambart. Questions or comments can be emailed to admin at can'tsellthispodcast.com. Music for the podcast is provided by Not Of. Find Not Of at notof.bandcamp.com. Opening and closing voiceover provided by jeffwright.ca. If you enjoyed this episode, a like in whatever platform you use goes a long way to helping the podcast get noticed. Thanks for listening and keep creating. See you.